In this week's episode, we spoke with Bree Williams, the founder of People Patterns, one of Australia's leading behavioural economics consultancies. At university, Bree studied the unusual combination of psychology and accountancy before being introduced to the world of behavioural economics through a book gifted to her by her brother. For those interested, that book was predictably irrational by Dan Ariely. Bree was a speaker at this year's Nudge Stock event in June, and her talk is well worth watching on the Ogilvy Consulting YouTube channel if you haven't already seen it. In this episode, we discuss her Williams Behaviour Change model and her advice on how to build good habits and break bad ones. If you're interested to learn more from Bree, then check out her website, www.breewilliams.com.au, or email her via info at peoplepatterns.com.au. We hope you enjoy the episode. So anyway, you know, thanks so much for, for, for joining us today. It was obviously great to sort of watch your talk at Nudgestock this year. And, um, you know, obviously we're, we're kind of fascinated by the field of behavioral economics and got into it through kind of Rory and um, all of the work that he's done. But I, I guess I wanted to ask you a bit about how you first came, came into it. I, watching one of your videos, you talk about this, this kind of, psychology of commerce which i loved as a as an explanation but i kind of wanted to understand what what exactly you meant by that yeah so i came across behavioral economics um as you might have read <laughs> through predictably irrational the book by dan Ariely. so my brother gave that to me for christmas one year and it was like oh that's perfect that's the fusion of everything i tried to study when i say tried to study so i i studied the disparate fields of um psychology and accounting mm -hmm. and I at the time I really didn't know how I would fuse those two disciplines I mean even in enrollment day it was like enrolling in those two faculties was a complete head head spin so it, the accounting faculty they knew us by number it was everything <laughs> ordered it was um, very efficient and then the psychology faculty they sort of cared about who we were but it was a little bit <laughs> confusing like it was um, a bit of chaotic anyway so I studied those two fields because I thought that I don't know why but I, I thought um, I've got an interest in both camps and then so this book predictably irrational it was for me the missing link in business so I'd been working in the um, commercial sector for mm -hmm. 15 years by that stage and I was getting increasingly frustrated with um, not getting answers or not being able to shift the dial on people's behavior. So mm -hmm. we'd ask customers what they'd want in their product and they'd tell us something and then, you know, you build it out and then they don't use the product. So to me, there was this um, gap, which was enormously frustrating. So I read this book and I thought, ah, at last someone is explaining to me that there's more going on below the surface when people are making decisions about what they do with their life. Mm -hmm. And often asking people won't produce the answers that you're actually needing. So behavioral economics is really for me that fusion point of the psychology of commerce. Mm -hmm. Some people say it's a rebranding of different um, areas of psychology. And to be frank, I don't really care if it is. It's, I think it's, Behavioural economics has started to re-engage people in yep. flawed assumptions about 
how people make decisions and rethink how we engage people, whether that's customers or whether it's our teammates. So it's such a fertile area for, um, for businesses and for individuals to sort mm -hmm. of really get their arms around. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's, um, I think Dan's book is one of those books that, you know, gets a lot of people into the, into the field. And I think he's one of the thinkers that's been really great in sort of popularizing it, um, maybe taking it out of academia and, and making it more widespread. Um, and it's one been of, key to make the, the science accessible. So yeah. I think you've got two, particularly two people, well, it's probably three with Richard Thaler, of course, um, yep. and his book um, with Cass Sunstein, which is Nudge. But so there's at one end of the spectrum, those authors like Dan and, and um, Thaler and Sunstein, who probably write in a more accessible way. And then you've got um, the other end of the scale, perhaps Daniel Kahneman, who yeah. has won also a Nobel Prize, so as has Richard Thaler. Yep. And Kahneman's work gets criticised for it being inaccessible. So mm -hmm. it's a best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow, yep. but it gets criticised for I saw a stat the other day saying that only 7% of people had actually finished the book. Yep. I, so I somewhere think, along those, along that spectrum, you know, there's so much great information, but you know, people are perhaps not embracing it like they, they could do. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, one thing I really loved in your talk was your, your behavioral change model. I thought that was so kind of clear and simple and um, yeah, for those that didn't get to see your talk, I was wondering if you could just talk, talk that through and explain a little bit yeah. about how that how that works yeah thanks jake so uh <laughs> i think it, it most of my work is self-serving in that in order for me to make sense of things i have to make them simple for myself <laughs> so when i was thinking about behavior and that can seem a bit like spaghetti if you say well you've got to try and influence someone to do something so click a button pay more you know pay more into their superannuation whatever the issue is Mm -hmm. That can feel a little bit like spaghetti. So um, the way I break it down is that everything in business is about getting people from A to B. Now, A is what they're currently doing yep. and B is what you would like them to do. Mm -hmm. So I want them to click a button is an example of B. Mm -hmm. Often in business, though, we jump straight to B. Yep. We, we jump straight to I want someone to do something. But we forget to think about but what are they currently doing because we need to be able to prize them off their existing behavior in order to get them to do something new. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to think through, but what are they currently doing? So a great example, for instance, is how do you get someone to switch banks? So the B part of this equation is we want them to switch banks. The A part is, well, they're with an existing bank. Mm -hmm. Now that becomes quite a complicated thing. How do you break down that task? So, Three things that stand in the way if you're getting people from what they're currently doing to what you want them to do. Mm -hmm. So and this is what I was um, talking about in the Nudgestock presentation. The three barriers are they are lazy, they are overwhelmed, and they are scared. So that's your mantra. <laughs> lazy, scared, and overwhelmed. Lazy, scared, and overwhelmed. So by the lazy, what I really mean is people think much less than we think they think. So path of least resistance is important reducing friction, maximizing their sense of reward. So that's the laziness barrier. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmed is the next one. So people love choice, but then get overwhelmed by 
too many options. Yep. So our role there is to clarify that for them and help them through that process. Mm-hmm. And the third barrier is they might be scared about committing to whatever we're asking them to do. So this is around loss aversion in behavioral economics. And so it's really about, well, how can we give them nothing to fear if they do it, but something mm-hmm. to fear if they don't. Mm-hmm. So those are the three barriers that we can work through when we're trying to get people from A to B. Mm-hmm. That's great. No, I, I love it. It was so, as you say, so simple, but the simple ideas are the best and, and kind of in implying this, applying this model to the kind of businesses you've worked with um, or indeed other businesses you've, you've heard of using similar models, what's kind of been a, a sort of a standout example for you of, of how successful, you know, behavioral economics or these kind of um, ways of thinking can be to, to, to grow a business or to solve a business challenge? Well, the first point is that oftentimes you don't hear um, case studies about how businesses are applying behavioral economics. Mm-hmm. You occasionally hear, you know, Google are reshaping their, their cafeteria, for instance, to make people eat better. Or you might, I think Jack Dorsey was talking about Twitter and his regrets about not having a behavioral economist on board. Um, you often don't hear about the case studies. And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that either people don't want to give away their their intellectual property or their right. um, success, but they also don't want to be perceived as having influenced people, even mm-hmm. though every business influences people. That's what we're in business to do. Right. Perhaps manipulative is more the connotation they're trying to avoid. Okay. So that's the first thing. So if you're looking for a lot of examples in the market, that's why you are not seeing as much of behavioral economics being applied as there probably is being applied. One example that I did um, listen to, which I thought was great, was um, Shopify. Yep. And he was talking about trying to influence his staff's behaviour and how the Shopify interface is um, is very clean and uncluttered and he wants that. Is his name Toby? Toby. Toby yeah, Toby Look, yeah. or I think is it. Yes. I don't know um, so he was talking about... He wants the interface and the user experience for customers to be super easy. And so he wants his staff to be primed. So this is a a central um, principle in behavioral economics, how you can prime people to behave. So he was talking about the, I think it was the coffee machine. Mm -hmm. He didn't want his staff in the morning going to a coffee machine that was ridiculously complicated to use because then they would be primed to have, if they're having a bad user experience of this, they'll be in a bad state of mind to then create things for their customers. And I thought that was a beautiful little encapsulation of talking the talk Mm. and practicing behavioral economics from the internal customer perspective, not just the external customer, because the beauty of behavioral economics is it's not just about influencing your marketplace, it's influencing your team so that they can influence the marketplace. Mm. So I that's one it. of the examples from, from um, yeah. I love, I love that one. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one before. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was on the um, Farnham Street. Farnham Street podcast, was it? Yeah. yeah. Which is an excellent, Parish. excellent resource. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to a few podcasts with Toby on other, other, um, podcasts and uh yeah he's really good he's like oh brilliant got so thinker. many brilliant yeah. things to say yeah not unsurprisingly it's a multi-billion dollar company now 
Um, yes, and, and he seems to also be um, quite grounded in terms of what he wants to give back to the community and his. Um, yeah. Is he in Toronto? I think you know, I think he's. I know he's in Canada. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe you're right. It's Toronto. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really interesting thinker. I agree with you. Um, and now you're not just an expert on behavioral economics. You're also an expert on habits and and changing them. Um, and I think that's a really interesting area that you know everybody could do with knowing more about. And um, I guess one of the the questions that I think often people ask a kind of what are the common most common myths around forming good good habits or indeed breaking bad ones because you see lots of conflicting information out there and um i just wondered from your kind of real life experience real world experience what are what are those common myths in in your eyes yeah and i think um how i got into habits was a I'd started in behavioural economics and behavioural economics applied to business. And then I was reflecting, I was, happened to be at a health retreat, which was a nice thing to do. And then I started to think about my own personal behaviour and not only getting myself to do something once, which is mainly, we talked about A to B, getting mm -hmm. at people from A to B. You can get yourself from A to B by thinking about yourself being lazy, scared and overwhelmed. So that's great to kind of get, you to change then it's about solidifying that change and so i was starting to reflect on habits now i read the power of habit by charles duhigg and i think he, that was a great encapsulation of the um operant conditioning model which is the sort of the anatomy of habits so you have a trigger so something that cues you to take an action then you have the routine which is what you do and then there's a reward so you feel some benefit of that and then if the reward creates a craving, you're going to go through that process again because you want more of it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what my interest in habits became. And because I think habits are really the cornerstone of life, because if you sort of sort out your habits, if you put the good, good habits in place, everything else kind of becomes a little bit easier. And I often say that it's not up to you whether you have habits, it's up to you which habits you have. Mm -hmm. So we are wired to create habits. And that's why it's often easier to make bad habits. Well, it's, it's easy. Yes, it can be easier to make bad habits because we're designed to make habits. And because we are lazy mm -hmm. and, and overwhelmed, you know, we're, we're going to seek out the path of least resistance and that keeps getting um, reinforced. Mm -hmm. And so that, and often there's something good about a bad habit. So there's some payoff, which is the reward cycle. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a habit around insert whatever it happens to be, alcohol or chocolate or smoking mm -hmm. or any of that sort of stuff. It's obviously, there's something good in it. Mm -hmm. We're enjoying something about it. Mm -hmm. And once we are reinforcing it, that's why they can become so persistent, so difficult to shake. Mm -hmm. So yeah. myths around habits, um, yeah, there's so many. First, there's the myth that it either takes 28 days or whatever, insert whichever period of time. Yeah. Um, and the research that is often cited is that it, as the definitive is that it takes 66 days. And the research, the detail of that research is that some, the average of habits they studied took 66 days, but an easy habit like, I don't know, drinking a glass of water um, or when you're at the workplace is an easy habit that might 
take a much shorter period of time, a more difficult habit doing 300 push-ups um, every evening, that can be a very difficult habit and that might blow out to, you know, more than a year in order to establish that habit. So a myth that um, it will take a certain period of time, mm -hmm. but the lesson from that research and from broader research around that is that what makes a habit easier to form is a stable context. Right. So doing the same thing in the same way, probably at the same time, but as much as things can be stable and you persevere, then that's going to be much easier for you. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. And, yeah. So um, for instance, if you're um, in the days where we could fly everywhere and travel every week, it becomes difficult to maintain habits. Mm -hmm. around exercise for instance because your context is changing all the time right a good a good time to actually change habits is when you have gone through a context change so for instance if you've moved house or if you've moved um job mm -hmm. and everything's kind of new mm -hmm. that's sort of fertile ground to to start to reshape habits as well because all of your old associations have, have started to be broken so that can be helpful that's interesting. And yeah, on that point about, um, you know, changing context or, you know, obviously what's been going on around in, in the world um, this, this year has kind of massively shifted lots of things for lots of people. And it's quite interesting. I wonder if you had any kind of point of view or insight onto how it seems that, you know, there's almost sort of one set of people who have who've kind of taken this time to build new good habits, i.e., you know, they have started exercising more and, and pursuing other interests. And yet there's also another group of people that kind of have gone the other way. And like, why do you think, what do you think it drives some people, you know, in a situation like this to, to kind of, you know, start good habits and, and, and what drives those to, to kind of pick up bad ones? That's probably the hardest thing of all is identifying what, is the um, the trigger, I used triggers before, but in a different sense, the, mm. the instigation, the catalyst for why we want to, to change in the first place. Because you're right, some people have kind of dropped the bundle and so they've gone very much into, um, well, ultimately all of us are trying to cope. Now, some people yep. are coping by what we might designate as good habits, so exercising and eating well, um, and others are doing the reverse of that. So I think what's been interesting in COVID is that you're right that people have coped in different ways, but everyone's still trying to cope. And so yeah. why they choose those different strategies, I think probably has a lot to do with what's going on with them personally. Mm -hmm. It could also be a function of what's going on with their social group or as much as we can have social groups at the moment. But um, for instance, if you're seeing all of your friends start you know, drinking more heavily or whatever, it becomes, you know, easier to follow that path rather than, um, yeah, do something outside of that herd. Yeah, I know that that's true. Well, there's that quote, I can't remember who said it, but you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think that's, that's probably true. And it, maybe it also heavily depends on the person or people that you were kind of in lockdown with, you know, if everybody was, was taking one route you would probably follow that um so yeah no it's it's really interesting and the other thing about habits i don't know if this is true or not but intuitively feels that you know a lot of the good habits 
it takes longer for their benefits to reveal themselves you know like for example going to the gym you know you, it does, it's not like if you have a drink or you smoke a cigarette or you eat a pack of of, of chocolate biscuits you know there's an instant reward because you, you get that hit straight away whereas you know going to the gym is is hard and you don't see the results and I, I wonder if that's that's kind of part of the problem that you know more often than not good habits take longer to see the payoff um and and, and bad habits they're much quicker to yeah that, look that's so true because um the principle below that is well it's short-term bias or present term bias depending on which part of the globe you're sitting in what you call it but immediate um essentially we are machines that like instant gratification this is part of us being lazy so we yes. like good stuff now and leave the bad stuff till later now as it happens a lot of the, the um the benefits so exercise and eating well have longer term payoffs as you've just described and all of the stuff that's bad for us and a lot of it's designed this way for instance you know um, snack food is flavored in such a way to to make us salivate and want more and more of mm -hmm. whatever we're consuming mm -hmm. so we're getting those short-term sugar hits metaphorically but also literally and um, that's what people are, are geared towards and yeah. so Yes, it does require a, a different level of discipline to do the right thing now for the payoff later. Mm -hmm. I was actually on a podcast yesterday talking to a health, um, a fitness professional, and we were talking a lot about that, that the, the secret, if you're, for instance, selling fitness services or health services is yep. to find a reward that people can hook onto now. So. Right. Yes, your body might change for the better and you might you might avoid disease and all this sort of thing. That's a long-term proposition, but you also feel great now because when mm. you get a sweat up, for instance, you know, you're releasing all of these endorphins and mm. yada, yada, yada. So centrally, for instance, for businesses that are trying to convince people to change their behavior for a longer-term benefit, that's mm -hmm. not ever going to kind of shift the dial. So we've got to try and bring people back to... Why is it good for you to do now? Yeah, find find ways to to make them feel the positive benefits in the moment as opposed to three, six months away. Um, no, it's really and it, interesting. And it can be even small stuff. For instance, if, if you're on a website and you're signing on to something, even small little reinforcements like an email that pops into your inbox congratulating you for the, the purchase that you've made or congratulating you for the decision that you've made or... You know, mm. you click a button and, and it's reinforced that your your form has been submitted. All mm -hmm. those sorts of things are mm -hmm. short-term benefits for people, which we perhaps can overlook when we're putting something together. We're, we're so focused on the product and the product logistics, for instance, and delivering yep. that, that we forget that that's a short-term benefit. I mean, 42 courses is, you know, that sort of thing. Longer mm -hmm. term, of course, it's... I'm adding to my knowledge and I'm getting better and smarter and all that sort of stuff. But I've also right. got to feel really good about bothering to take this course and um, do every module, for instance. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's something we're, you know, working hard at and trying to get better at is, you know, how do you feel good when you're, you're taking the course and how do you feel motivated to keep, keep doing it? Because, you know, one of the big challenges with online education is, you know, you don't have the classroom, so you don't have the peer pressure, you don't have the, 
the, the teacher kind of helping you um, push, push through. And so it's very easy to quickly get distracted and move on to other things. So yeah, as you say, it's about trying to find those small moments to reward people so that they, they kind of um, continue and, and get the best out of it. Um, yeah, I love then, how you do that. It's sort of humorous and it's, um, it, it feels very uh, human to human, <laughs> you know? You, you're giving all thanks. these cute little reinforcements, which is awesome. Thank you, that's very kind to say. Um, well, yeah, any, any uh, comments or recommendations, please let me know. Um, and then one thing we love to sort of ask all of our guests at the end is, is kind of book, book recommendations for, for our listeners. And I was wondering if maybe you could give one, given your, your kind of background, um, perhaps one on habits. Uh, you mentioned the Charles Duhigg book, which I think is great. Um, and, and, and one on behavioral economics. Um, and, you know, if we're feeling crazy, um, maybe another topic that's unrelated. Well, of course, aside from my two books um, in, in the space. So I've written one called The How of Habits. And I wrote that because um, a lot of the books on habits told me what I should do and why. But yep. my sense was that we already know what we should be doing and why, but it's, it doesn't mean we're doing it. So The How of Habits. So that's... Um, habit space now in terms of book recommendations i haven't read atomic habits by james clear but i know that that's been getting a lot of um positive feedback um it's brilliant. Habits, Bad habits by wendy wood you said one and here i am going on and no, no, it's, good. it's good um there are a few or a couple that at least that people might be interested in and in terms of behavioral economics again i wrote my book behavioral economics for business because i read a lot of Books like Thinking Fast and Slow, I actually did finish it, <laughs> Thinking Fast and Slow, Predictably Irrational, which is really accessible, um, uh, you know, have Nudge, there are, there are other books around it, but I wrote Behavioural Economics for Business because those books are really great at um, making the science accessible, but they don't bring it back into pragmatically, what am I going to do? How do I write an email differently? How do I do a presentation differently? Mm -hmm. So applied to business. So that's why I, I wrote my book. So, but I think um, Daniel Kahneman is um, almost, I think I saw that next year he's got a book and it might be called Noise, I think, which I think could be really cool. And I'd also suggest if you want to broaden it into behavior change, books on behavior change, yep. anything by Dan and Chip Heath, the Heath yeah. brothers. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Really, so one that I love is, um, is uh, Switch. Yes, that's, How that's to a great book. When Change is Hard. Um, and they've also got one, is it called How to Stick? Something like that. Yeah, made to, made, to made to Stick, made I think it's stick. called. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, that's I, a really good one as well. I would agree with you. I think the books those guys do are fantastic. I'm actually reading one of the books at the moment. Um, I think it's called uh, Upstream. I think it's by yes. Dan Heath um, about problem yes. solving, you know, how, how we should be more proactive rather than kind of just react to when problems happen. Um, that's, that's really good. Um, yes. I um, listened to a podcast with, with him and that sounded awesome as well. Yeah. Yeah. Think, I think thinking it, upstream because it's not our natural tendency. We, we tend to get in term, um, we get into a reactionary mode and I think absolutely thinking upstream is a great concept. Yeah. I mean, it's, it makes so much sense. It's like, you know, rather than letting a problem happen, solve it before it has a chance to develop. And it's like, brilliant. <laughs> Why don't we do that more often? So easy. 
Um, but well, anyway, again, yeah. Back to, we had this discussion, didn't we, about short-term bias and how we go for instant gratification. You can see how we fall into that uh, routine where, mm -hmm. you know, the short-term gratification is I'm going to fight this fire that's going on in my business and never getting around to something that has a longer-term benefit, which is going upstream. So mm -hmm. I don't know if he tackles those sorts of... Um, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one of the things I was reading earlier um, he was talking about was interesting is, you know, there's kind of, there's an association of almost heroism with solving problems. You know, it's kind of like so-and-so yes. saved us the end of the, you know, saved us at the last minute or, you know, put out that burning fire and it's like this obsession with you know solving problems after they've happened rather than rewarding people for preventing them in the first place um and i was that's like oh, that's so true it's a bit like that sliding sliding doors moment where you can never tell what would have happened i mean this is the whole concept of how insurance is a grudge purchase because you right. you kind of you pay for it and it's actually good if you don't use your insurance but right. Yeah, but there's something very tangible about when you do have to make a claim. It's like, oh, I've got that money back. Yeah, and it's a bit like um, the thinking we do upstream, yeah. where if you if you knock off an issue before it happens, did the issue actually happen? Did the, yeah. did the tree fall over in the forest? No, it, it's it's so true, isn't it? And that um, actually, you know, most organisations they're incentivized in a funny way to have problems in order to have statistics about solving the problems. Because if you don't have a problem in the first place, you don't have any statistics to, to measure. So it's kind of, it's, it's oh, very, we can see that with um, COVID for instance, as well, that for instance, in Melbourne at the moment, at the time of recording, we're locked down and there's, you know, a little bit of pressure of course on the government to, to um, ease up on those restrictions but it's very hard. So, you know, people are citing economic loss, but it's very hard to then um, calculate the ramifications if it, if we did reopen and it did all go pear shaped. And so it's the same in business all the time. It's the, what is the unknown destiny and how do you put a value on that? Mm. And that's again, where I think behavioral economics can help, which is about teasing out how to influence people with those sorts of um, those arguments, because facts, people often think that facts and data are what people want in order to make decisions when in mm -hmm. actual fact, I, I look at those as a form of currency where people want data and facts so that they feel safe and like their butts being covered if they make a decision rather than making a decision on the data itself. And mm -hmm. there's some interesting studies around that, but Perhaps for another time, Jake. Perhaps for another time. Yeah, no. Well, I, I think that's a great way to end. And yeah, just to say thank you so much for, for joining us today and loved everything you had to say and, and all of your brilliant book recommendations. And yeah, we hope to chat to you again at some point in the not too distant future. Absolute Thanks, pleasure, Jake. And thank you for the work you're doing with 42 Courses because I think it's really bringing learning alive for people. Well, thank you. That's very kind to say. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the 42 Courses podcast. We'll be back soon with more interviews with some of the world's greatest minds. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at 42 Courses or check out our website, 42courses.com, for information on all the courses we offer. Have a great week.